The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Welcome to my show. Thank you for coming back this week. I have uh, a very interesting guest. I was recently out in Silicon Valley and um, ran into this gentleman who was giving a talk at uh, the organization in which I was doing some uh, consulting work. And it was a fascinating and wonderful discussion that I said to myself, I have to share this with my listening audience. So I have Srinivas Kushik who is currently the CTO of Magellan Healthcare. And if you look at his uh, background, if you look him up, you'll find out that from the years 1996 through to 2014, he has been named numerous uh, technology and engineering awards right up to this last one, which is the premier 100 tech leaders uh, in, the, in, in, in the field. So I want to know, Srini, um, what what how come you didn't get something for 2015 were you slacking off last year or what <laughs> linda uh, it's it's a pleasure to be on the show and um <clears throat> as far as the uh, te- you know the the technology uh, awards and others i actually look at it as uh, you know those are all recognition of uh, of work and results that that you tend to deliver right those those things are nice when you get them but it's not the main objective that you're going after so uh, and 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 uh, the direct answer to your question is yes i was slacking off in 2015 <laughs> good good for you good for you so i you know one of the things that i was just fascinated that you talked about is all the digital transformation business transformation and and actually disruption that's going on and can can you tell the audience a little bit about you know what what you see out there. What's happening? Well, I, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of people have talked about um, what's going on with digital. Uh, you know, uh, people have talked about digital businesses and what needs to happen and and what's driving that. I believe what's going on um, is actually very well captured by uh, if your if your listeners follow uh, Singularity University, which uh, is uh, you know is is put together by people such as Ray Kurzweil and Peter Diamandis and Sal- uh, Salim Ismail. Uh, Peter, uh, Singularity University t- tends to focus on what's the future and what's going on in that space, and I think they've done a really nice job of characterizing what's going on as. Uh, 
digital technologies, when you start thinking about cloud and the connectivity that, that uh, we've experienced in terms of networking all the way from white area networks to those personal area networks that, that are, uh, you know, within, within your own uh, personal space, if, when you think about it, uh, what, what it is driving is it's driving this new kind of organization where, uh, imagine this, about uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, you know, before technology and before automation, when you had to get one task done, then an individual did that task. Then you uh, came up with uh, automation and machinery that then got us to a point where, for, uh, you know, each person could perform 10 of those tasks. Right, or 20 of those tasks. Uh, that, uh, you know, ushered in this whole industrial revolution and, and uh, a lot of what we've seen over the last hundred, hundred, uh, hundreds of years. If you kind of take a look at what's going on in the, in the digital space and look at Moore's Law, Moore's Law is a lot more than just linear uh, thing. Moore's Law, you know, while some people argue that it's coming to an end in the next year or two, uh, for the last two decades, what's been true is Every 18 months, the computing capability doubles as the price kind of halves. So that, that is really no longer linear growth. It's exponential growth. And, and the argument that a lot of people make, which I support quite a lot, is what these technologies and the pervasive nature of technologies that we deal with today is causing a shift to exponential organizations. Uh, when I started my career, I worked at IBM, and we were very proud of the fact that we had 400,000 people across the globe. And that scale gave us an advantage in the marketplace today. That's not true today, right? When you look at Apple, uh, which until a week ago was the most valuable corporation, it's now the second most valuable corporation, but uh, the, the most valuable corporation in the world, uh, they, they, they have 30,000 employees. So that linear relationship that we're all, we're all used to, we're going to pick up certain things, and, and every time our company grows, we've got to grow uh, you know, the infrastructure, the people, everything associated with it has kind of been broken. And I think that leads yeah. to a completely new paradigm. So, so tell me, what do you think that's going to do to the white-collar worker? I, I actually think uh, that, that, you know, what, what happened in the blue-collar world 20 years ago and 30 years ago with, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the disruption that that group had to go through, uh, I think that's coming in the white-collar world. And white-collar world, when you start thinking about uh, a lot of work that's done, like, you know, that, that, that's, that's about uh, inspecting information that comes through, making sure that the workload flow follows a certain set of rules and, and you meet those. A lot of things that, you know, uh, technology uh, that, that used to be just an enabler, now uh, with artificial intelligence and machine learning and where it is actually headed, many of those jobs that you needed people to do anymore can now uh, very rapidly be picked up by, uh, by algorithms, by machines and others. And so, so there is a, uh, there's going to be a uh, significant disruption to the white-collar workforce that's coming in. That is not meant to be a doom and gloom story because I tend to look at it as positive, right? Just like that machine helped us get a lot more productive. You know, uh, the best example I could use from recent memory is, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm sure the listeners can think back to before 2007 and uh, 
you know, it, you know who who knew what the heck a smartphone was, right? Nokia had a couple of right. things, but until who knew right. what a smartphone is? And and eight years later, uh, you know, we're in an environment where it's it's an indispensable device. You can I can't live without my sp- yeah. smartphone. And and, and 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 basically, the argument there is like the technology took over a lot of things that we could do, but it improved the ability of human beings to do more and better things. It's, it's not always the case. You still have, you know, reality talk shows and all of that stuff that came out of a lot of these technologies as well. But for the most part, people became more productive. People yeah. were able to spend a lot of time. So where you had to go drive to a place and stop at a payphone and make a call, I can actually do that. Uh, you know, although I worked in insurance, I shouldn't say, you know, you, if, you're, if you're talking on the phone when you're driving, you know, please, please use a hands-free headset. But right. my point, uh, you, you get my point. People have become yes. a lot more productive. They've figured out how to do more important things and more valuable things as technology became more and more efficient. And I believe, and I'm 100% confident, that that's what's going to ha- happen. But it's not going to be without pain. Yeah. And so what would you say, uh, I, I totally agree with you, but, you know, even uh, I, I can't live without my, my uh, smartphone. You know, I use it for... Absolutely everything, and you know, I don't use my my tablet all that much, and I don't use my computer that much. Maybe just for writing and that kind of thing. But you know, the, the information that you can get from there is just in one small little device is just absolutely incredible. So, what is what is the white collar worker to do in 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 this in this? How do they sustain themselves in this? Obviously, it's going to be a painful disruption. Um, yeah, before I jump to that, like you know, the irony of the whole thing is the smartphone has become so smart that the only thing that we don't use it as is a phone. <laughs> we use it for everything else. Oh, that's right. Um, that's but, exactly right. That is exactly uh, you know, right. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the, the, I, I, I believe what people have to be able to go back to because there are things that are uniquely human. Uh, you know, the, the design uh, aesthetics of things, right? Now, uh, you know, what does the experience look like? There, there are several of these human elements that, that uh, you know, are very relevant to how we use technology that I still believe, at least until, you know, we invent things that take that over, are still very relevant. So I think a lot of the skills that need to get developed, and, and you and I were talking a few minutes ago uh, before the show started about my company. There's a very specific reason I went, went out about six years ago and said, we're going to create a company and we're going to call it Right Brain Systems because everything that the white-collar worker or, or most of the things that our white-collar workforce have been trained to do in universities and colleges have been, uh, you know, uh, playing to the left brain, the analytical side of the brain. We're, cho- we're, we're trained to be problem solvers. We're trained, to, you know, the tools and techniques and others are, are all, uh, you know, aimed towards getting to a end point to a solution uh, through certain things. And uh, as compute power has com- con- continued to increase, I think uh, machines and algorithms have been able to do that and do it with far fewer errors and far less training. And that's where the, uh, the thing comes in. But I do believe the right side, uh, you know, the right brain uh, component of it is very relevant because it is about yeah. how you make technology to improve that human condition. So there's a lot of uh, emerging areas that I believe have to be able to um, will continue to need human uh, uh, skills. And so, so I may say something that is, uh, that is completely uh, out of whack with the rest of the common vernacular, but, but I see a lot of 
uh, emphasis on STEM skill or skills, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I'm an engineer, and both of my do- well, my older daughter's an engineer, and my younger one's headed towards becoming an engineer. Uh, I, I'm I'm also saying, yeah, STEM was important, but but as I start looking forward, STEM's going to be important all through because you want to keep improving the technology. But I think we've reached a stage where we've really got to figure out how we leverage a lot of this technology to improve that human condition. And, and, and to yeah. do that, you're going to need a lot more liberal arts uh, folks, but liberal arts folks who are tech savvy, people yeah. who can actually leverage that and use it for delivering better outcomes. So I think that's, that's critical. Uh, yeah, those are some skills that I believe will start becoming a lot more relevant as we move forward. Well, thank goodness. I'm really happy to hear that. We're uh, at break. And we're talking to Srini uh, uh, oh, sorry, Srini, I'm killing your name. Kaushik. Kaushik yeah. from CTO, uh, CTO of Magellan Health, but really very interesting conversation around how the digital trans- how dig- digitization is transforming the world and, and in fact the business world. We're gonna be talking a little bit about how this is impacting kids. What does this mean for leaders? What does this mean for organization design? What does it mean for some of the industries that are out there that are going to get totally turned on their heads, if not extinct in the near future? So stay with us. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Wednesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on game-changing HR leaders. Learn how you can become the savvy leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next wave of business innovation. Game-Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag #IleadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now back to I Lead the Leadership Connection. 
Welcome back to my show. I'm Linda Sharkey. I lead the Leadership Connection, and I'm talking to Srini Kaushik, CTO of Magellan Health. And we were having a, a very interesting conversation about what all this new technology and new capability and digitization is doing to the white-collar worker and how, in reality, people will need that human connection at some level. And it's going to shape how we think and how we learn, moving more towards that create creativity factor. And you were talking a little bit, uh, Srini, about how Google has now started to hire. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, um, you know, I think uh, in in the conversation, and, and nothing that I talk about is is uh, you know something that that I made up. Part of it is is from what Eric Smith and others have talked about and written about. Uh, you yeah. know, I think what what I saw fast, uh, what I found fascinating about uh, the way Google hires uh, is is what they're actually looking for, right? You know, so, so here, here's an interesting uh, conversation. Uh, I've been in several settings where uh, you know a very frequently pointed out thing about Google is Google gives its people 15% of time to think about ideas. That's why they're innovative. And that is true, but that's pointing to one of the symptoms, not the root cause. Right? You know, so, so Google actually spends a lot of time right. hiring the right people. Actually, Google uh, uh, create and uh, uh, within that, within them, and I've started using the same term, it's, it's called smart creatives. Right? They, they, they talk about you know the types of people that you're trying to do are not the uh, not not people who are just good at one thing, but they actually have the the aptitude, the desire to perform. Right? You know, it's about yeah, they're playful, they're creative, they're they're involved passionately with anything that you you talk about. Right? And and so when you start thinking about the way and what Google's looking for and how they go about it, right? The other part of that that thing that I found fascinating was. They will, you know, they'll never ask you. Tell me what you're passionate about, because that that always elicits a um, a canned answer, right? You know, because I think when you're right. having a conversation like this, it's got to be very easy to figure out why what people are passionate about, right? And 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 you're you're actually looking for that and driving it out through the conversation. And and Google's whole uh, attitude is. If we find the right people, uh, who they call smart creatives, these smart creatives, uh, you know, are going to keep themselves uh, on their toes and and learn things as they evolve. And more importantly, they will attract other people like them and uh, around them. And so, so when you now have an organization that is made up of a lot of smart creatives, Giving them fifteen percent of their time to think about, you know, uh, what else could be looking at is going to result in fantastic ideas because, you know, whether you know they've got they're working on ideas from everything from water purification to, uh, you know, how how do I drive put self driving cars out there to everything. This is for a company that started off as a search company, right? And and you know they they they're truly going after a completely different mission, but they're building it on the people. I don't believe that's the white collar worker we're talking about that's in danger, right? You know, these, no, these are, you're right. And, and that's, that's kind you're of what right. I believe we should be, a lot of organizations should be uh, looking for and encouraging, universities should be encouraging that type of talent to be created. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. So, so how do you see this as, um, you know, how do you see this as impacting 
kids that that are coming up now. It just seems to me that they've got so much greater access to information. Hell of a lot smarter than I was at earlier yeah. ages. Yeah. What 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 uh, are you seeing out there? It, you know, you 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 now touched on one of my hot button items. I think uh, you know uh, kids' abilities and capabilities, you know, that are enabled by today's technologies have, have far outstripped our educational system. So this is kind of like, you yeah. know, buying the latest, you know, PC and then going back and installing Windows 95 on it. That's what our education system is doing to kids today, right? I'll, I'll, give, you, wow. uh, I'll give you an wow. example of what's going on in the Valley. Uh, we have... Uh, many of your listeners would have probably heard of Salman Khan. Uh, Salman Khan is the founder of Khan Academy, right? And, and uh, if you've got kids in school and if you haven't visited Khan Academy, there's my one tip for the day for you. You should go to Khan Academy and, 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 uh, and see what they do. And basically, in a, so, uh, long story Trini, short. how do you spell Khan? K-H-A-N. How do you spell Khan? So the K-H-A-N. H. Khan, okay. yeah, Khan right. Academy, and one of Khan, okay. uh, you know uh, the first name of the gentleman is Salman Khan. One of the one of the uh, uh, the, the things that that uh, his biggest supporters is Bill Gates. Uh, Gates is uh, Gates Foundation has invested a lot in Khan Academy, and where I was leading with that is so uh, the Khan Academy on the web and on mobile has been very popular. Uh, as as an example, my uh, senior in high school is going through calculus. Well. The last time I studied calculus was 30 years ago. She needed some help. What was I doing? I was on Khan Academy learning calculus very quickly and, and, and before I had to go teach her about it, so things came back. And the way they explain it and what they have on there is just so helpful that I was able to get the knowledge that I needed as I needed, when I needed it, to, to be able to use that and consume it in a very easy way. But where I was heading with that is um, he, uh, Salman Khan has started up a school here in the valley, right, which is a very, uh, it, uh, it's, right now it's an experimental school. It's, it's called Khan Labs, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about the name. But it's got uh, about 60 kids in it. It's run in a Montessori format. So, so if you've got a child that's at the second grade level, you know, they're spending the entire day with kids who are much older than them also in that space. But the key thing there is kids learn through experience, right? So there's no, there are no teachers. There are mentors. Uh, so, so if a kid's having trouble with understanding math, they're pointing them in directions where they can drive this. A couple of, uh, one of my friends has got a da- two daughters, one, both of them extremely smart, one a 10th grader and the other one who's just in second grade. And I was having dinner with him the other day and he just said, uh, his second grader is the one that's going to this lab. And I said, what do you what, like? Do you actually see a difference? And he's he's basically telling it's not even a comparison. You know, he said, I, "I'm I'm very proud of my daughter, and like the tenth grader is just fantastic and tech savvy and all of those other things." But I don't think she, she even stands a chance with the second grader, right? The amount wow, of things that they do. Her final project, you know, just to give you an example, her final project uh, at the in December for for that uh, before the break was. Uh, you know, instead of just reading a book and coming up with a book report, she actually went in and created a video about it, right? Edited it properly, found music clips that actually matched the mood of the story, 
and uh, and her book report was delivered completely through you know it, that way right? and, and wow, it, I just fascinating. Started going like you know okay so I wish I wish some of my employees could do that I wish I could do that right <laughs> to to be able to do that well, I, I got to tell you that equates to how we need to be doing development in the workplace. I mean, we That's do correct. development in the workplace like we did the old educational systems. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't work. Yep. And it's a, it's a huge money drain. Instead of putting in place ways that people can learn from each other, I love this idea of, you know, not having teachers but mentors, uh, you know, knowing where you need to go to get the information that you want to find. And technology can certainly enable all of that right. and blow up and so, these old models of what I call the 20th century. Right. So, so here's something that we, uh, uh, you know, so as, as you pointed out to your listeners, I'm, I'm, I'm new at Magellan, but this is one of the first things I've got on my plate to be able to try, try to drive. Our development model to bring our... <laughs> Excuse me, just getting over a cold. Um, our development model, uh, it, you know, I've, I've based it and I've tried it. Uh, it. This is my third time I'm going to implement the same thing uh, with, with tweaks updated for the latest technologies. I've built on this model that, that is already popular, which is the adult learning model, which is, you know, sometimes it's called the 10-20-70 adult learning model, right? Which the whole concept mm-hmm. there right. is, you know, 10% of your learning is going to come from reading, books, articles, white papers, all of those things. 20% of your uh, learning is going to come from just-in-time training, and 70% of the, uh, the is going to be from experiential learning, on-the-job experiential learning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. when, when we want to create, so, so uh, an example is when we need, we need more data scientists. Well, the best, best way to create that is we have a curriculum that is a carefully curated set of reading, right? So this is not go read this book. This is go read these two chapters in this book and then go read this Mm -hmm. blog post that this guy has written in. So it's a very carefully curated set of uh, reading, which actually allows people to kind of get past the basics and get to a point where this is the equivalent of, I I don't have to teach you how to, uh, the multiplication tables anymore. I just need to teach you how to use a calculator more effectively. Right, right, So so essentially just coming back in and saying, okay, here's a curated reading that you need. And then the 20% uh, today for the most part can be delivered through MOOCs, right? You mm-hmm. know, here's the two degrees or two micro degrees you got to go get at Udacity, nano degrees they call it, right? Or right. here are the three courses on Coursera that we would recommend in this sequence, right? And so we're essentially putting that in place. And then you're saying, um, okay, in, uh, at Magellan as an example, do I have three or four people who can be mentors because I could pair five to six people with a mentor, Right, who's yeah. actually helping them uh, take, uh, you know, apply that, uh, the, what they just learned in a role by setting up the right types of challenges. So just because they went through the MOOC, we're not throwing them at the most difficult problem, but we're throwing them at something which has got to use the skills that they've learned. And when they don't do it the right, uh, the right way the first time around, there's a mentor to help them get it better. Right? I'd love yeah. to, that, that's one of the things that I'm going to try to get implemented in our environment because that's the way we help um, our current organi- you know our current talent and skills transition over to the to the skills that are needed and the nice thing about it is as long as you have these smart creatives people who have the apt- aptitude and the attitude and are adaptive to change 
we're fundamentally going to be able to keep them ahead of the technology and deliver value. That, that's, I, I believe in that yeah. to my core, and that's, that's, uh, you're absolutely right in, in pointing out that like, that's kind of the way the whole, uh, you know, developing talent in large organizations, large and small organizations, has to change. Oh, absolutely. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is that this is going to affect our higher education institutions as well, and they've got to rethink how that they, they develop their people. But, you know, it's so interesting that you said this because it's a very similar, using different kind of terminologies, but GE, and I noticed, you know, GE is, you know, 120 years on the New York Stock Exchange, and it's still there, and it's reinventing itself again, at, you know, an alma mater of mine, frankly. And they always did that learning model of experiential learning and through through job experience and through they didn't use coaches and, and mentors quite as much as they are now, but that's such a powerful learning tool. We are at break and stay with us. We're gonna be talking about how digitization is changing industries and what companies won't be around. We're gonna talk with Srini about his view of how this is gonna change leadership and what leaders do in organizations. Very fascinating discussion. Stay with us. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. 
We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host. And with me today is Srini Kaushik, who is CEO of Magellan Healthcare, but has a long and illustrious career in the technology world. And we were just talking uh, during the break about how the world is really being turned upside down with the impact of uh, technology. And it's so interesting. I was a history major undergrad. And when you look at history, you see that at the turn of the century, usually there is a major adjustment that really disrupts the traditional stuff and that seems to be happening here. So, Srini, what were you saying? What's your view on what this, this technology's disruption is going to do to the world in general? Uh, first of all, it's good to be back on, uh, on this one. And, yeah, thanks for the promotion, but I am the CTO, not the CEO of Magellan Health. But, um, so CTO. <laughs> just to make sure, uh, you know, I, I think uh, to your question, uh, at the latest uh, World Economic Forum, um, in, held in Davos about uh, two, two or three weeks ago. There's a report that came out, and if people uh, haven't seen it, you should uh, go look at it, and, it, and it's called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And uh, a lot of what, what I'm discussing today uh, was the topic of discussion of world uh, leaders a few weeks ago. And uh, a, a big part of it is that w- what I see is, uh, the, you know, we in the developed countries, the U.S., the U.K., Western European countries, um, you know, it, it's, it's not unlike many of us facing corporations. Like, we now have a legacy. We have a legacy of, of infrastructure. We have a legacy of how we've, we've, our, our higher education system has worked and others. And so there's always going to be resistance to change, right? So, so if I have a higher education system that has been the envy of the world for, for decades, right, and, and, and now you get into a point where you have these upstart, uh, you know, MOOC, uh, MOOCs coming up with the Audacity and Coursera and others. Right. Uh, you know, uh, the leaders like Stanford and MIT are going to figure out how to work in that space, and they are. Uh, others are going to look at it and resist that. And, 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 the, and the danger we have in these developed countries is that we're going we're gonna to try to resist it because it challenges the status quo. And the opportunity yeah. that a lot of developing countries and, and, and not yet developed countries have got is, is to kind of leapfrog us right in that space. And that's yeah. something that we have to watch out for, uh, you know, because yes. this is a global economy and that's kind of how we compete. So that is the reason why right. I think uh, this is going to change uh, the, 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 the political and the demographic landscape of things. So it's, it's really not a white-collar yes. impact, but it's a, it's a lot more than that uh, that I see coming in. And, and oh, I think that's coming impact. up. You There's can no see question. it in that report that I referenced. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no question of that. You know, I had a friend, it was a, sort of a funny story, but, you know, 20 years ago, or I guess maybe 10 years ago, I had an op- opportunity to invest in Apple and uh, uh, decided that, um, I guess it was in, in uh, uh, mobile phones, and decided that, well, landlines were never going to go out of out of play and didn't do it. And it was one of the most foolish uh, things he did. But you're right, because we get blinded by, uh, you know, what we currently 
uh, experience and we're not able to think out of that box because it's change and that can be frightening to people. So how do you think this is going to change? Who is won't be around uh, Shrini in the future? And what, what industries do you think are really going to be infected the most? Um, well, I, you know, I, I, I believe like the, a lot of the, you know, what, what fall under the services industry Right, are are the industries that that I will see? Uh, my, this is my guess. I'm not a macroeconomist, but 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 based on what I see, I think the services industries uh, are the ones that would first start seeing this. Right, things where you know, if I've got a whole call center doing call processing, it, it, you know, now start uh, start thinking about um, well, what if I can do this much better with algorithms, and I actually provide natural language processing capabilities where having that conversation with uh, with this becomes a lot more effective. A lot, you know. Just think about what you can do with, you know, Alexa in, in your in your home office, like with Amazon's Echo, right? right or, or Siri today. Right. I think what you start seeing is those service jobs, like you know, which you tended to put under this white collar capabilities, are the ones that will get um, uh, disrupted quite a lot. So, so if you think about it, the U.S. If I take that, uh, ever since I've been in this country, the mid mid eighties, uh, we've been a service economy, right? Manufacturing has gone so we've been a service economy and and, and that is is the one that's at the most danger of of disruption as you go through it and there's a lot that fits in that you can think of insurance and banking you start looking at what's happening in fintech right uh, things such as wealthfront and betterment coming out where you know uh, a lot of even established players like Schwab and others have turned around and they've invested and they own a part of betterment now because it's you know why do I need an advisor, when all of the trading is being done by machines and algorithms, why don't I have machines and algorithms manage my own personal portfolio? Yeah, right. And absolutely. and I can tell you, for with with a year using it, um, the machine has been doing as well as uh, my financial advisor. And yeah, uh, you know, I'm paying 0.25 cents on the dollar. As uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm paying 0.25 basis points as the uh, as my fees, as opposed to yep. what Morningstar says, which is best of breed, which is one percent or something like that. Right. So, so again, uh, there's an example of something that was considered to be complex that's already being replaced by this. So insurance and banking, I see that happening. I think um, yeah. healthcare and the industry that I'm in, I believe that. Uh, healthcare. Uh, one of the reasons why I was excited to come to Magellan is healthcare is an opportunity where the demand is growing, but the supply is decreasing. So, to give you an example, uh, in, in the spaces we're in, like behavioral health and long-term health, uh, and these conditions, as medical technology improves, the people getting diagnosed with these conditions continues to grow, uh, go up, but. The ability to provide care to them, whether it's through, you know, nurse practitioners, trained psychologists, you know, the doctors and others, the ability to provide that is, is not keeping up with that demand. So I believe technology in those spaces are going to be, technology is going to be more effective in making the providers we have you know, more, um, I'd say, more effective in front of our patients and, 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 and our members, right? Because if, if now I can, I can use technology more effectively to provide better quality of care, uh, th- there's an opportunity for us to be able to do this. So, so at least in healthcare, the way I look at it is 
there is a huge gap that's evolving. That human touch is, is important in something like that. But, but having the ability to leverage technology, because that it, it, most healthcare organizations to, uh, today think linearly, right? You know, I, 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 you yeah. know uh, each doctor can cover 20 patients a day. Uh, if I start getting 40 patients a day, I've got to get another doctor. Wow. How do I make yeah. make that provider more effective so that we can uh, we you know it, that that linear or one you know one is twenty type of ratio is broken right and so I think even yeah. though healthcare is also a services driven industry uh, there's an ability to be able to use that and I think insurers and banks and others are also looking at the same model to figure out what is it that's value added that that a bank does or an insurance company right. does that can be built on the so Srini I'm gonna I'm- I'm going to stop yeah. you here because I, I think that you're absolutely right, but I wanted to have the time to get into what do you think that this is going to do to the leadership models that are out there today? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, that that should be a separate show in itself. No, but I, it I think should the, be. I'm going to have the you leadership, back. Yeah, I think the leadership model, uh, you know, in, in, in an environment like this is actually critical. Uh, because what you're doing in these in these environments, uh, like in 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 this uh, changed environment, is you're getting from a point where your leaders are going from that that traditional um, uh, command and control, right? You know, so so that things such as in the past, uh, it, it, you're rewarded for providing stability and certainty, right? You know, the, at least in IT leadership, it was all about how do you standardize things and how do you make sure that everything is stable and certain. Uh, I think you're moving into a uh, into an environment where IT leaders have to be able to deal with and be very effective at dealing with change and ambiguity, because you're going to be entering into a world where technology is moving at a rapid play- pace. So you don't have the ability to slow it down and standardize it, right? Which means leaders have to start le- rethinking what they do. They don't. They they can't do that. Uh, hierarchical pieces. They've got to figure out how to build the ecosystem and the networks. They have to be able to be hands-on because this is one of the conversations I had with uh, with one of my mentors, and uh, I don't think he fully agrees with me yet. But uh, but that's that's why he's he's my mentor, and he's also t- said he learns a lot from me. Uh, I've told him like you know I've looked at his uh, direct report team and said, uh, hey, here's a problem you've got, right? You know today uh, everyone that you've got on your leadership team is somebody who's a general manager. Right, so the last time they were technical, and you run a pretty large IT organization, the last time they were technical was 15, 20 years ago, and that that does not count anymore. Right, the 15, 20 years ago, the technology that was there is not relevant anymore. Exactly. So the people right. who are on well, that at the, the se- yeah, go ahead. I think the points that you're talking about are don't just apply, Srini, to uh, technology leaders. They actually, what you're talking about, I think applies to all leaders that are out there. I, I agree. I, I, I think so. I, I was coming at it from uh, having run technology organizations. I was sticking with that. But, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, you have to have people who have a lot more skin in the game, who actually are uh, you know, going to be uh, current with technology, who are going to be current with what technology can do in their respective industries. Right? And, and uh, I, I tend to use this, but, but this is a, a little more than tongue-in-cheek. Like, you know, I think it, leaders, it, uh, many leaders of today are worried about looking good. Let me put the metrics up there. Let me show this. Hey. Uh, I, I say like, you know, it's looking good is not important. Being good is important. 
Um, just if, let me give you one quick example. I've talked to my project managers coming in. The normal project managers in any organization, leaders who lead projects, uh, tend to be the opportunity is, you know, everyone's familiar with the red-green uh, red, yellow, green right. system. Red, yellow, and green every dashboards. Every company you yep. go into, you see a swath of green and a little bit of red and yellow in that space. I said, well, if you're running the right. company properly, it will be a lot of red, some yellow, and very little green. It's got to be the reverse. What do you mean, right? You know, well, yeah. if you think about leadership, any project that I start today, if you tell me that you've got all of the issues under control, you're lying to me. Right, because you don't have the resources, right. you don't understand the scope. Right. So the day the project right. starts off, it's either red or yellow. The only difference between red right. or yellow is that's the project manager basically telling me that uh, I've got issues and I, I don't have it under control and I need help, which, in which case it's red, or I've got issues, but I've got it under control. That's why it's yellow. Right? And then so, so what that does is it then forces people like myself, who these project managers and others report to, to say, okay, I see those reds in there. How can I actually help you? Yeah. Right? It, it's a very different approach than, um, you know, send me the status report. And then, you know, if I happen to see red on that, I'm going to call you into a room and beat you up. Right? You are <laughs> absolutely so, right. So this is, um, we're going to take a, very quick break, and then we're going to come back. Uh, we have a, a question from the field, and I want to talk to you about culture, Srini, because what you're talking about a little bit is what kind of organizational culture you need that can make that shift from what you're talking about. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network dr linda sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success do you want to put the wow in your talent practices how about a spring in your leadership approaches coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right really do make good leaders great if you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back to the show. I'm Linda Sharkey, and I have re- uh, I'm t- terribly doing this. Srini Kaushik, who is CTO, not CEO, of Magellan 
healthcare. But Trini, if you keep talking the way you're talking and doing the th- kinds of things that you're doing, you're going to be CEO somewhere for sure. I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. We were talking about changing mental models around leadership and what people have to think about when they're, you know, just even managing linear projects and this whole notion of red, yellow, green and 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 that people have to be able to say what's where they really are in a truthful way and get collaboration with others. So the question that came in from the field that was just uh, emailed in was, well, how do you, uh, it seems to me that that's a cultural question. So how do you get that culture or how do you, what kind of culture do you need to have a place that really would be honestly reporting that their project was more red than green? Um, it's it's a great question, and um, you know you've seen all of the, the 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 slogans and things like that, right? Culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? right so right. Um, culture is kind of where you absolutely have to start. And culture, at least in my mind, starts with the type of leadership you have. It, it does start with the type of it, it. It starts right at the top, and it 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 permeates all its way down. Because again, if you bind what uh, uh, Eric Schmidt and others say, you know. Smart creatives tend to attract other smart creatives. Well, you know, really old, bad, hierarchical leaders tend to attract other old, bad, hierarchical leaders. So I right. do believe that it is actually important to, uh, to focus on a, a culture that uh, drives this is some, uh, one that is open and, and uh, engaged, right? Open and engaged uh, in, uh, to ideas, engaged because you want to be helping people get better. It's, call it servant leadership, whatever it is. The second component that I think is critical is you have to have the organization get used to celebrating learning. Right? I know everybody says celebrate failures in the valley. Well, they don't celebrate failures. They celebrate the learning that comes from failure. Right? And so, so uh, you know, you're, you're essentially, you do have to celebrate learning, and learning can, can be, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think it's Bill Gates that said once that you learn a lot more from your mistakes than you learn from your successes. And, and uh, th- th- that celebrating learning component of it is, is extremely important. And, uh, and I believe, like, you know, the, the incentives and rewards are a critical component of it as well. But I think uh, it it's, has to be done in conjunction with the other cultural elements that we, uh, that, that we talk about because you want to be able to attract and uh, get the best out of people there. Yeah, and you know what? If you're one of those hierarchical command and control leaders, you are definitely not going to be able to attract uh, the smart creatives as, as uh, Google talks about. And they're going to be so essential to... to uh, to the upcoming organizations that are going to be there. One last word, Srini, one piece of advice that you might have for for someone to sort of survive in this upheavaled environment? Yep. Um, Well, this is coming from personal experience. I'd say, like, you know, when I talk about things like smart creatives and active learners, uh, that is not an age thing, right? A lot of people kind of just equate it to, hey, these days and things like that. I think every human being can be a smart creative, right? It's a question of the amount of time he or she is willing to put into it. You know, I, I, I ask, like, when I, I mentor a lot of people and, and I ask them questions like, okay, who do you spend, who are the five people you spend most of your time with? And this is not a friendship question or something like that, or, or which, where do you spend most of your time, uh, you know, top, top five sites you spend online? Because 
there's a lot of truth to this thing that you're the average of the top five people that you, the five most people you spend time with, right? Or the same thing applies to this. So yeah. if you're on TMZ right. Live for most of your time, that's what you're going to be, right? You know, if you yeah. are learning, but it all comes back to... If you're on to, The Bachelor most of the time, that's what you're going to be too, right? Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's absolutely, that's the thing. And so, so the question is, does the individual have the motivation and drive to be able to do this? Because, uh, you know, you're, you, you're going to have two types of individuals. One that's going to say, well, I'm, I'm retiring and I don't need this anymore. A second that's going to say, I'm going to fight this, right? And a third that's going to say, well, this is coming. There's no point in fighting it because I want to kind of be the, that person uh, that's driving that change. And to do that, no matter what age you're in, what role you're in, there's an opportunity to go learn to the resources that are available to us, to, to my 17-year-old or, or that friend's second grader are the same resources that are available to you and I. Yep, absolutely. Right, so there's really no reason why we can't make that transition. That's, I, I couldn't agree with you more, but some people have that learning gene and some people just simply could, could care less. Well, uh, uh, you know, most people have a survival gene. Yes, <laughs> Maybe they everybody use has that a survival gene. Yep. <laughs> but it depends on how they survive and what they consider as, uh, you know, a necessary survival mode for themselves. Well, I think... If you're still listening, which I hope everybody is, you can see why I was so delighted and fascinated to have Srini Kaushik on the show. Uh, just a brilliant mind, brilliant thinker. And Srini, I'm definitely going to have you back. There's more I want to talk to you about. It's just uh, fascinating. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. It was a real pleasure to have you. Thank you. And the pleasure was all mine. Right now, all of my contact information is available, so please feel to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, all of the social media. I try to be appropriately present, present on all of those, uh, those social media. Thank well, you. that's good. That's great. And you are. And so, uh, everyone, if you want to get a hold of Srini, please, please do so. Uh, but don't bombard him because he's a, you know, got a day job too, right? <laughs> So thank you very much. Coming up next week, I, I recently had uh, Jim, Dr. Jim Ludema, who is the director for the Center of Values Driven Leadership at Benedictine University. Actually, my uh, alma mater, from where I, uh, from whom I, from which I got my uh, PhD, and um, a great school. It had the learning model that uh, Srini was talking about: very experiential uh, learning. Um, just, just a fabulous opportunity to work with 20 other people in the field and um, learn from each other and actually mentor each other. But at any rate, uh, I asked Jim, uh, who was talking about the role of values in the workplace, not the platitudes that go up on the wall, on the wall but the real value of values and how that has impacted uh, the bottom line of organizations. And two graduates who are now pretty high up in their organizations are going to be joining us next week. And we're going to be having a panel discussion about the impact that being a values-driven leader has had on them, the people they lead, the growth and the profitability of the organizations of which they are a part. So it's going to be a fascinating discussion. And uh, please stay with us next week. And then we're going to have uh, Bruce Tulgan, who is a best-selling author who's coming out uh, and going to be talking about his latest book about millennials with some really startling and interesting insights into the new workforce. 20 billion people, 2 billion people, excuse me, under 20 
in the world today. So this is the new workforce. Thanks so much and stay with us. Come uh, listen next week. And I appreciate and thank everybody for their support and listenership. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.